shave or shine his shoes? Can you guys uh, sort of uh, fill me on on that? Uh, well, it's usually a swear word that starts that whole one off, but yeah, it's a normally a three-parter. I've so, allowed enough swears on this radio station during my time. I don't really need to add one more. No. So that's all it is? No, well, I, the, swear. The, the saying is. Yeah, so yeah, okay. No, I, yeah. I, I'm, I'm picking up what you're laying down. Yeah. But, uh, okay, anyway. I don't even know where it came from, but that's, uh, that's old school right there. <laughs> I kind of like it. Hey? I, I, I think that, and as Goody being a former goaltender, yeah. uh, it's just an appreciation as a goaltender union to – Kind of explain that it's not your not, fault. Not the everybody. Fault. Everybody else in front of you is fault. That's the best way to analyze that one. Well, it was a shared experience yeah, uh, last yeah. night. Uh, yeah, uh, Mad Sogard was a uh, uh, a late uh, late into the uh, game when uh, when Talbot was uh, scratched, so he didn't appear to be on his game. But near, nor, nor did the rest of the sense. Easy for mm-hmm. me to spit out. Let's bring our next guest in. He's the expert in yeah. all this. The well quaffed Mike Johnson, as always, presentation of the Myers Automotive Group. How are you doing this morning, MJ? I am well. I've shaved and shined my shoes, so I'm good to go. Okay. Let's, let's get after it. Let's get after it. Okay. All right. And by the way, you're recovered from. I, I saw. You know, you fill us in on Thursday about your. Um, you know, your your night doing the Flames game, the overnight, the red eye, back for the trade deadline desk. You said ten. I noticed you. You're a little late. You had some flight delays, but you're all recovered now. You got to. You got that all in your system. We said ten, but when we took off at like. 2.30 in the morning, Calgary time, and landed about 8 a.m. Toronto time. Like, maybe make it 11. Okay. <laughs> we, we were dealing with traffic. We got home so late. So, um, wow. yeah, we got there more about 11. But, yeah, we got through it. It was a boring day. Not a lot going on, predictably. But uh, still a fun day to kind of get everyone in the studio together, which we don't usually get to do. You know, we, we all kind of scatter as colleagues all around the hockey world all year. We don't often actually physically get together, even though we're, we're talking all the time. So that that was the best part about it, just kind of seeing everybody. I think you had set the uh, over under on uh, on trade deadline day trades at uh, was it eighteen and a half, and it, it did actually come in somehow at twenty one. Although there were some minor deals, <laughs> some very minor well, league deals along the way that helped put that to the over. Our official adjudicator Kevin Gibson, our stats guy at TSN, said no, no, only NHL trades was eighteen and a half, and there were several trades in that twenty one that did not involve any NHL <laughs> okay. players. So right. I comfortably claim victory on right. the under. All right, good stuff. All right, how do you explain what happened to the Sens last night? Um, well, it you know it happens. It is really you know sometimes they've played so well, so emotional, um, and so invested, and it's not like they played poorly to start the game. Um, you know, whatever the shots were, eleven to three when Chicago scored their first goal. Like they had plenty of look, they were carrying the play. They looked like they were going to be a successful team that night. And uh, the goaltending position is one that can determine the outcome of the game, regardless of how well you play or prepare. And unfortunately, it was both sides. It was Chicago Stalock playing so very well, um, maybe keeping Ottawa off the board, especially early when they probably deserved a better fate. And then it was Sogard in net for Ottawa having a bit of a tough night where. When one goalie is great and the other goal is off, doesn't matter what anyone else does. And then I think as the game got to two and three nothing, you know the the structure and the kind of uh, all the things that we'd seen Ottawa do well the last few weeks slipped away from their game. It happens. You know you're never going to run off 25 games in a row. You're going to lose even when you play great five of those 20 games. Uh, in many ways, we were joking before. You might like to see it against a team better than Chicago. I personally would rather see it against Chicago because at least they're not competing for points. Like, I don't want to lose to Pittsburgh because Pittsburgh's better. Like, give me a, give me a team that's nowhere near us in the Western Conference. Okay, that's a bad loss. We'll, we'll move on past it. 
um, and and get ready for the next one. But I think it's more just a function of largely the goaltenders early were really good at one end and, and not so good in the other. And also in a crazy way, MJ, is there almost a sense of relief in Chicago that, hey, everyone's moved and this is our career the rest of the way? There is that, you know, it's it's a, it's a narrative that's out there and it can be a true time that, that the the teams that are right out of it, that have made trades, that are playing young guys, they are occasionally difficult to play against because there is nothing to lose. They can play fast and free and care carefree, and if it all works well, they look good. Now, there's several nights where they will play that way and it doesn't work well, and then it becomes an easy game, easier than another opponent. But last night was an example of a team that, you know, when you, when you are at this point where Chicago is, and I've been on teams like that, um, you don't worry about a thing for the, and there's no pressure whatsoever. You're just out there playing. You got young, young kids that aren't in the NHL usual playing bigger roles or whatever it might be. And it can sometimes become a more difficult game as well. One of the uh, discussion points we had before the on yesterday's show before the game was uh, after we had seen Jake Chikrin uh, score on that big bomb on uh, on Saturday night, uh, and he, you know he's got a history of being able to score goals like that. There was evidence right there. This guy's got a shot. And if there is a um, a, a criticism of of Thomas Shabbat uh, on the power play in particular is that, that there is a reluctance to shoot the puck, uh, and maybe there's not from you know the other team's penalty killers maybe not uh, the respect that there needs to be for someone and thought well. Are we going to see a point at some point where Chikrin may go to the number one power play? Well, boom, last night, I mean, it was 4 nothing, but a 5-on-3, and it was Chikrin out there with the rest of the number one unit and not Thomas Shabbat. Thomas Shabbat is a real team guy, no doubt about that. From my perspective, I have no issues there. But how difficult might that be for him? New guy comes into town, and boom, three games into it, he's already kind of taken my spot, as it were. Well, I think you have to make a very clear distinction between a 5-on-3 and a 5-on-4 because... I would not change a thing in the five-on-four. There's a reason why Ottawa scored the second most power play goal in the league, and Thomas Shabbat is one of those reasons. He works really well. And quite frankly, like you want to have point shots that people respect. You don't want to take point shots in a five-on-four. Like That's not a high-percentage way to run a power play. Numbers have borne that out. You, you just don't want to do it. It's, it's a low-percentage play. But in a five-on-three... You want a shot threat because that's not at the blue line anymore. That's more like the tops and the circles because you kind of compress the zone as you get a little bit tighter to the net, and you can run different options if you can score from the tops of the circles. It makes sense five on three. I don't think it makes a lot of sense five on four, and hopefully Thomas Shabbat would appreciate that because it can be as exciting as it is mm-hmm. when new players come, and Shabbat's got his contract, so that also makes it a little bit more palatable. Point of the matter is if you lose your spots, because someone is brought in and you're on a good team and you're playing a good role, that doesn't make you happy. You know, if you're a competitor, you want to play, you want to contribute to your team's success. So, um, but I don't think this would be a long-term first power play unit. Five on three makes sense. Five on four. I don't think we'll see that anytime soon. How nice is it, MJ, to finally see some internal competition at the same time? Because for a long time, it was Thomas Shabbat and just about nobody else behind him. Well, I mean, and you, and you could dump Sanderson in there as well as a guy who's going to be, yeah. you know, competing for minutes and high leverage roles and offensive situations, and and I think it's good. And it's, it's been mentioned several times by several people, and and we all know Thomas Shabbat is an excellent player, really very good. But we've also seen Ottawa ask him to do too much, play too much, defend too much, do everything too much, and I think. He becomes better. Shabbat becomes better with the idea that there's Sanderson on the scene and Chikrin on the scene. That they just, he doesn't have to do he doesn't have to do everything to the same degree um, 
and, and that will make him better as well as the team as a whole. So, uh, yes, a little internal competition is never a bad thing um, as long as it's healthy, and I'm sure it is in Ottawa right now. And, and Shabbat will probably be better off for it when it's all said and done. Since the last time we talked to you, which was a Thursday, that was uh, in the hours after the Jake Chikrin trade had been made. And since then, he has played three games. Uh, the win in New York, the win at home in which he scored a goal, and then the game uh, last night. From what you <clears throat> excuse me, have been able to, to see so far, um, you know, what, what, is, what are your thoughts on, on, on the fit in particular on the Ottawa defense? So the interesting part is that they, for a lot of time, they've rolled three left-shot defensemen, right? We've talked a lot about that, that other top four guy, and when he play with Sanderson on his offside, but see DJ occasionally play him on the left and go Shabbat, Sanderson, Chikrin, or whatever order you want to put it in. And I drew the comparison, not maybe to the same degree, but when Tampa was at their best, what were their defensemen? It was it was Hedman, McDonough, Sergachev. Three left-shot guys that all kind of, partnered up with righties who were maybe not quite as good as the lefty, but turned into like the best defense in the league. And, and maybe that's where their mindset is. You see him move the puck well. You see him jump up. Um, you know, you, you see him being physically strong, all the things that we know he's good at. Um, so, yeah, he, he kind of comes as advertised. He's a very good player. But what I like and what I think probably the Senators like is that um, the clips of him talking about being an Ottawa Senator and getting emotional with his sister and his grandfather in the stands. And, and, I, and I think for every team, but Ottawa maybe more so, having players that really want to play there for that organization matters and, and, it, and it resonates. And it's not always the case. You know, not every team people are happy to go to. And I thought like, that was lovely to see. And if you're, and if you're, Ottawa, you're like, that's the kind of guys we want on this team. We want guys that, like, you know, it means something for them to be here, and it looks like it means something for Jacob Chipper to be an Ottawa senator. On and off the ice, and also with what you had to give up, is it almost a dream scenario of how this is fit, MJ? Yeah. I mean, you know, we were we were wondering what Pierre Doran was going to do, if ever. We were wondering what Bill um, Armstrong was going to do, if ever. But the fact that Doran was able to wait him out and really pay the price that makes sense for um, for the Ottawa Senators. It, 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 yeah, yeah, it, it really, it, it, you'd feel so good about it because um, it, it was on Ottawa's terms. They got the player they want that fits in just the way they like for the right price that makes the right amount of money. It's really a, a, a great fit. Um, it took a long time to get it done, but when it finally was done, um, it was done well. So uh, normally uh, in the old days, we'd say uh, after a performance like that, uh, would you, quote, burn the tape? We don't deal with tape anymore. We, de- uh, t- uh, you know, we deal in video and laptops. So would you throw the laptop in the garbage if you're DJ Smith and say, you know, that was, that was you know, to your point earlier, we're kind of due for one, and not look at any video from that game last night? Or when they get back to practice, I guess it's tomorrow in Seattle, do you incorporate some of what went wrong, some of the November sends, as we've been calling it, that crept into their game last night? Do you do, you, do, you do some corrections on that? Yeah, I think you probably do. I think you probably do. You probably um, you, you you want to talk about what remind the team of the habits that they have developed that have made them so successful, and nip it in the bud. The, the, the puck management, the the bad routes, the, the turns to the board, the opening up the middle of the ice. Some of those things, even in a game where they dominated, you remind them. Listen, guys, we still have to manage the puck, manage our defense, protect our goaltenders. The offense will take care of itself. So yeah, you probably give them, you don't, you know, bury guys for, you know, making it just a vicious 
45 minute video session of all things gone wrong. But just a reminder, these are the things we have to do all the time to give ourselves the best chance to be successful. And that includes tightening up a little bit defensively. Mm. Uh, I want to get your thoughts just overall on the on the wild card race in, uh, in the Eastern Conference uh, as it sits right now. The Islanders and Pittsburgh are in the two spots, uh, and then you've got Buffalo, Ottawa, Florida, Washington, Detroit, all within seven points uh, of that uh, final playoff spot. When it's all said and done, as we get toward the last two weeks of the season, let's say, how many of those seven teams do you think will still be in the race? Like, wh- what is the real race, in your opinion, uh, in the mm. Eastern Conference wild card? Which teams? Yeah, that's a, it's a very good question. And you, you kind of chew on it. You look at it. Um, I mean, I guess you probably you probably would say Washington on up. You know, uh, Washington, Florida, Ottawa, Buffalo will all be battling with Pittsburgh and the Islanders. I guess there's six teams there. Um, you know, you're kind of waiting for Washington to go away, but they've won a couple games. I don't really think they're in it, but they'll be around it. Florida, the game's played, starts to look a little bit dicey, but – you, you can't discount that they could possibly go on a run and, and, and stay around it. Uh, so I would say six teams will be close to it. Um, I would probably eliminate Washington practically, but they'll be the points percentage will be close enough that they will feel as though it is, which is fascinating because it was it's so different than last year where the East was settled by like Christmas. Um, not the case at all. Like it's going to come right down the wire. The Islanders look like they're in good shape, but they played two, three more games than everyone. And we're only four points ahead. Two or three games matters a lot. So it's going to be clustered until the end of the year between those six teams. When the season's over, who do you think will be in seven and eight, MJ? Um, I think uh, probably the two teams that are there. Probably the two teams that are yeah. there. Mm. I mean, you know, Pittsburgh is has been scrappy for a while now, but it's Pittsburgh, and you kind of defer to uh, Sidney Crosby and his ability to kind of find a way to lead his team. And then the Islanders, what, what would concern me if I'm the team chasing the Islanders is that because of their goaltending, they're going to kind of be in every game. So even on games they don't play well, they'll have a chance to pick up points. And, and that makes them dangerous. Feels as though, what, like 94 points might get it done. Islanders have 17 games left. They're at 72. So 94 points would take 22 points. 11 and 6. That might be asking a lot. 10 and 7 gets them to 92. Maybe it's 92 points, guys. So yeah. you just run the numbers on 92 points for the Sens. That means they need 24 and 19 games, 12 and 7. Certainly doable given the pace they played on. But that sort of, you know, you look at when you're shuffling through the teams and it's a lot of kind of white noise to try to flush out. Think 92 points. Think 93 points. In that area, we'll have you right at the playoff line. So that's the kind of record and that's how many losses these teams can incur. Islanders can lose six. Sens can maybe lose seven. Like, that's where they're at right now the rest of the year. Yeah, I was just doing the math while you guys were, were chatting there on, on uh, current pacing. So i got Pittsburgh right now at 94, and the mm-hmm. Islanders are actually at 91. Buffalo's at 90 right now. So could it be as low, potentially, as even 92 points, potentially? Uh, absolutely. Twenty Like, 10 and 7 for the Islanders, who are in seventh place by points, yep. would get them to 92. Like, that's, like, you know, that's, that's the point, place they're on. It is absolutely possible that it's not a 97-point year, it's a 92-point year, 91-point year, which is great news for Ottawa because right. it brings it more to a more feasible number for them to go on a run for another six weeks to try to get right around there. Um, but it does bring that number to Buffalo and to Florida and to Washington, to all those teams trying to get there. Um, it gets a little bit closer. Do you have any idea what to expect between Tampa Bay and Toronto in the first round for where the clubs <laughs> are at right now? 
oh my goodness, like it's so strange, isn't it? Yeah. And I find it fascinating. You know, obviously I live in Toronto and I cover the Leafs a lot, and um, you know the the nature of the Leaf fandom right now, where every win is order the rings and every loss is we're the worst team of all time. Meanwhile, down in Tampa, and like it's all like, oh, they're poised for another loss. They can't beat Tampa. A bunch of losers in Toronto. They don't know how to get it. Meanwhile, in Tampa, they're benching their best players. They're getting waxed the next game with four shots through two periods. Um, they're getting pounded left and right, and no one's concerned at all. It's like, well, well, they've won, so they'll know how to turn it on. And they might, but it's just amazing the past success of Tampa gets them so much benefit of the doubt, and the past failures of Toronto gives everyone um, cause for kind of panic on, on any little thing that comes up. I, I don't know. I mean, I'm assuming Tampa plays better. I'm assuming Toronto will play well because Toronto generally plays well against good teams and has all year long, so long as they're healthy. But who knows about that now? We have O'Reilly's basically out until the playoffs, and Tavares is not feeling himself or whatever, not feeling right after a couple of big, big hits, which is also scary. So, um, And Austin Matthews hasn't been the same. It's just, yes, question marks abound for two teams that you thought you knew exactly who they were. You're maybe not quite so sure right now. How much does John Cooper weigh uh, in his decision to sit those three players down for an entire period in a in a still winnable game Saturday against Buffalo? Uh, how much does he weigh, you know, kind of the success the team has had in his decision to do that? Because I would think MJ is a former player. Like, you know, we're talking about star players here. That was mm-hmm. very embarrassing. So for him to do, I, you know, he knows what he's doing. You know, he's he knows that what the what the uh, talk of after the game is going to be like. Kind of take us through the decision to do that and what you think might be the result. Like, could it be something that goes completely south on him, potentially? Um, I mean, I would say the second part's an easier question. The answer is no. I mean, I think that team is too good. Those players are too good. And they would respond, even though they didn't the next game. I, I think it tells you how secure John Cooper is in his job. Because I think a lot of coaches would be hesitant to, to make that kind of very bold, very public um, display of of what they think of their best players of games, but because they've had success, and he's done this before. I mean, I've called games where Kucherov didn't play for a period and a half. Not all three of them, but for Kucherov specifically because, you know, he didn't like what he saw. But the more concerning thing is that if you're a coach and you decide to exercise that option, I'm going to sit my three best players, point Kucherov and Stamkos for an entire period uh, to prove a point that they're not playing well you are completely counting on a response the next game. And the next game was the one against Carolina where they were absolutely blitzed. So, like, that's the more concerning thing. Okay, well, hang on. I, I went to the most aggressive option I could go to, and then we still got did not get the you know any sort of reaction. That would be concerning. But you wonder, if you're a team like Tampa, given all that they've done the last few years, if this is sort of the, the moment where they know who they're playing, they want to get home ice, but it doesn't really matter. They didn't have home ice last year, and they made it to the final. Um, if it if it's like maybe their attention and their focus is waning a little bit because there's not a lot for them to play for. Right. They're just kind of biding their time until they get there, and maybe they think they can turn it on closer to. But, you know, there might be something to that given all the hockey they've played lately. I know good players and good coach, but you also look at this and realize any relationship at times in, in sports runs out, MJ, that, hey, maybe a new voice at the end of the season might make sense for as good as Cooper's been. Uh, well, that's a big stretch. I don't <laughs> yeah. know. I mean, yes, always. Yeah. But like that's, I think that's a bit aggressive. Given, like They're still one of the best teams in the league. I think the greater 
the, the more accurate um, kind of conclusion would be, God, it's really hard to play as much as they have year after year after year. Like it's it's different hockey now than when the Islanders did it, and when the Oilers, like you know, I mean, like this, the whole pace of your life is different now than it was then. And I just wonder if that's the statement. Like, you know, it's hard physically, it's hard emotionally and mentally to do it every game for as long as they've done it for like three or four years in a row. All right, good stuff. Are you doing the uh, Toronto Jersey game tonight? I am. Yep. I was excited for it, but then I see this roster for Toronto. Now, they may end up winning this game, but like their <laughs> second-line center tonight is Sam Lafferty, and their third-line center is David Camp, and their fourth-line center is Pontus Holmberg. That is not like the murderer's row they thought they had <laughs> when they brought in Ryan O'Reilly. So um, It's going to be a tough one for Toronto because Jersey is very, very good. Yeah, good chance to see uh, Timo Meyer in his first home game as well, so should be a yep. good one too. Uh, Eastern Conference powerhouses. All right, appreciate the time as always. Enjoy the game tonight, and we'll uh, chat with you again on Thursday. All right, guys, chef. Bet and breakfast, powered by FanDuel. Make every moment more on FanDuel, North America's number one sports book. All right, you're a Sens fan. You're going to be keeping your eye because they're not playing again until Thursday on the out of town scoreboard. See, this is the good thing about the Sens being in the playoff conversation this year is normally this time of year after the trade deadline, you're just kind of like, now, oh, there's games going on. And you're not really, now you're invested not only in the Sens game, but you're invested in when the teams that they're in the playoff mix with are playing as well. And tonight, there's a very delicious matchup on the island. Buffalo Sabres at the New York Islanders tonight. Islanders currently are in a wild card spot. Buffalo is currently tied with uh, Ottawa. All right, so Simmer, Buffalo going back-to-back. They played last night. Yeah. Islanders at home. What do you like? Well, I appreciate you not mentioning last night, so that was certainly good as I steered everybody in the wrong direction. But, yeah, uh, it finds, I think, certain nights, JR, you know exactly who to cheer against. This particular case, I'm not sure, but it is a back-to-back. It will be tight. So I'm going to take the under, and I will take the New York Islanders. So I don't know if that upsets fans or not, but I think in that back-to-back situation, uh, Islanders should be able to bring that one home. All right, so New York is currently uh, a pretty decent favorite. They're minus 166, so... 17 to win you 10, and uh, the under uh, is currently about uh, even money uh, tonight, if you want to bet on that. By the way, the last time they played, the Islanders beat Buffalo 3-2. So there you go. Speaks to uh, what you say. Yeah. All right. So there you go. Uh, make every moment more on FanDuel, North America's number one sports book. I guess, um, yeah, we should be updating uh, everybody on uh, all of the games with uh, playoff implications. Uh, Pittsburgh also playing tonight. They're home to Columbus. Uh, so you want to be keeping an eye on that one. And uh, Vegas is at Florida. Mm. So the Florida Panthers are at home tonight to the Vegas Golden Knights. So those are three games on the out-of-town scoreboard of note. And you heard MJ mention uh, maybe the best matchup tonight uh, is happening in New Jersey, where the uh, Leafs will visit the uh, Devils. As the Leafs are on one of these weird road trips as well, right, where they went out west, and then before they return home, they actually play a game on the East Coast. Yeah, uh, We've seen the Sens have those over the years, but... Uh, uh, Toronto has to do that tonight. And they're going to see uh, Timo Meyer playing his first home game. He played his first game out in Arizona the other uh, day and got a goal. And tonight he's at home for the Devils. Yeah, and always fun to watch here. And the curiosity in asking MJ, just with the Leafs as they settle in from so many changes, obviously you've run into some injuries. And from Tampa Bay's standpoint, I, I totally agree on the John Cooper part of it, that it's very drastic to think there'll be a change. And when you really look at what Tampa does, they don't do stuff like that. And you also would look at this and say, hey, should they lose in the first round of the playoffs? It's a long summer. It's a chance to regroup. 
Um, but when you do those types of things, it is drastic, right? I mean, you know, a Kucherov sitting out, you know, back in the day, no big deal. But when you sit all three guys and then you get the response you do the following day, JR, it just, it certainly piques my curiosity mm-hmm. because as I said, it, that's going down a, a whole different lane. And of course, I think about Steve Casper and the famous incident in Boston way back in the day where I, he sat Rick Talk at Kevin Stevens. I can't remember if Cam Neal was involved, but it was almost by the time that game was over. I mean, he might as well just grab his uh, laptop or if he even had one back then. And, yeah, he and didn't have two Stanley Cup rings. No, no, oh, on. no, exactly, exactly. But it, it just, it took on such of a life of its own when you're, you know, that that's a really calculated move. But, hey, old Coops knows the players, and obviously they've had a very good relationship for a long time. But it, it is very drastic to embarrass players like that. I, I tend to agree, though, with, with MJ that, um, you know, let, let's say, you know, Tampa doesn't, they, they, they're in a five-game funk right now. Mm-hmm. Let's say it continues to sort of meander into the uh, into the postseason, and then Toronto actually beats them in the playoffs. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I don't think it would reach an extent because he's got he's got you know too much history, recent yeah, oh, history sure. with yeah. that. Uh, the Jeff Vinnick, uh, who's you know everybody says is the best owner in the NHL, yeah. is going to oh, turn out sure. and fire the guy yeah. that brought him two cups. No, no, and and even uh, you know Julian Breesbaugh, the way he operates, just, just a realization that hey, no matter at what relationship in sports and how much you win. Uh, at times, egos come along, and hey, and relationships expire. And at some point, you either say, "Hey, it's also time," and they've done a nice job of keeping the group together. Uh, at what point do you also say, "Hey, man, we got to maybe switch things up a little bit here. Mm-hmm. Instead of the spare parts, uh, maybe you got to go out and make a fairly drastic move or a bigger move." Uh, okay, quick update by the way, just on the traffic for people wondering because I kind of touched on a little bit in the last traffic report uh, about there something weird was going on where they were stopping the traffic on the 417 going westbound at Nicholas. And like two cars were moving very slowly. And so all the traffic was bunched up behind it. And then somebody just texted and said, there's like 30 police cars screaming down the 416 South. Oh, wow. So what's happened, what's happening is that the EU commissioner, I'm not sure who, 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 some some bigwig with the uh, EU is traveling by car from Ottawa to Kingston. So that's what's going on. That's why there's such a, Fancy, there's Kingston. a fancy car presence going on. So you sure he's not going to Belleville? That sounds more like Belleville. Yeah, Vegas, I mean eh? he's going for chicken wings. Eh? He's going to slap shots. Gonna have <laughs> yeah. himself an hour. He, he, he wants a box of the cheesies yeah. as well. Oh, Hawkins, uh, yes sir. That you said that with such disdain. What's in Kingston? Like you said it, and you had this <laughs> like snarl on. Like that was such a Belleville. Well, that's such a small city response. Well, why is the I, EU like well, Belleville's? No, Belleville doesn't have a Costco. Yet, so that could be why you're traveling to Kingston. Belleville also doesn't have a college or university that I know of. Uh, so, Loyola College. I get a guess that Queen's University has something to do with what's going on here. Right? Lots of big wheels and lots of former alumni. But do we really need like, for summer school? The, and also from that, like, who? Nobody even knows who this guy is. So, I'm assuming you have an escort like this, Jared. There's some type of a threat to him. Is this really necessary? have this many police cars for the eu like hey man get an uber we don't even do know your, your name do your thing if you want to put your flags on the car well it's e- like every sort of thriller <laughs> that you watch whenever there's somebody of of importance yeah, yeah. they actually have three cars or four cars that are exactly the same <laughs> yeah and you don't know which, which one are you in which oh. one is he in which one are you gonna you know are oh. the bad guys gonna yeah. try to blow up and it's inevitably the wrong one. That was my huh? favorite when george bush jr who came into rhode island to the war college i've told that story before but as they bring him in, they have four different helicopters. So, hey, you got to shoot them down. you got to shoot all four down. You don't even know what one old George Bush is on. There that was kind of cool. Okay, March 7th is the date today. 35 years ago. Well, I've given it away now. 
Uh, thirty. Well, no, thirty-five years ago today, mm-hmm. one of the most famous trades, not at the time, but worked out to be one of the most famous trades in the NHL history, happened when you talk about giving up something, uh, getting something for today, and giving up something for tomorrow. Happened. It was oh. a trade between the St. Louis Blues and the Calgary Flames, uh, in which the Flames acquired Rob Ramage and Rick Walmsley and sent. At that point, a very young goal scorer by the name of Brett Hull to uh, St. Louis. Now, the Flames went on to win the Stanley Cup uh, the uh, following season in 1989. Still their only Stanley Cup, but they did win it. And Rick Walmsley played, and, or, or sorry, Steve, uh, sorry, Rob Ramage played. Uh, and Rick Walmsley was a backup to Mike Vernon. So, you know, they were they were parts of that trade. Yeah. Uh, Brett Hull went on to score 527 goals. Uh, with the uh, St. Louis Blues, yeah. so if you're Calgary, if you do, you look at that trade as a as a win win, uh, and something that uh, or something that Calgary that hey, did we need to really wow. add when we gave up? You know, one of the greatest goal scorers in NHL history. Uh, well, the backstory is Crispy hated Brett Hull, and they had, and if you know Crispy Terry Crisp and his personality, he had him in Moncton, and he could not stand him. So that really is the backstory at the end of the day, how that happened, JR. And okay, but they still did it. No, exactly. But my point being is that, you know what, if you didn't win the Cup, I guess you look at it that way. Um, well, for sure you it, do if but you it, didn't. But at that time, it was just a removal of Brett Hull. But yeah, you would have thought there more value. And I guess credit to Ron Caron, because I don't know what timing it was, but not long or just before, he would have acquired Adam Oates for next to nothing from Detroit, right? Hmm. He was pretty much a throwaway. And then you had Hull and Oates going together. But yeah, that that is a pretty one-sided trade for sure. And like I said, is, is it wa- worth, you know, yeah. but here's the interesting thing. Like, yeah. like Calgary back, they had Al McInnes and Gary Souter mm-hmm. as, you know, their two best defensemen. They had a bunch of, they had Jamie McCowan. They had like, they had, they had good D, but they, you know, and, and McInnes and Souter, you had two incredible defensemen. Yeah, and sure. Rob Ramage was kind of like, uh, he was a luxury, let's round out our top six with, you know, he was a really good oh, defenseman yeah. at that stage of his More career. More of a leadership thing. Yeah, but I mean, uh, and Rick Walmsley was total insurance for Mike yeah. Vernon. Mike yeah. Vernon played, I think, every playoff game for Calgary when they yeah. won the Stanley Cup. But yeah. it's one of those really interesting trades yeah. of, yeah. And, and it worked out, like I said, Calgary won the Cup, mm. but they gave up a guy who went on to score 500 goals. Oh, for sure. And you'd look at it if you're Calgary, especially, and yeah. you'd go, did we need to add the lu- like like did yeah. we need to add the luxury right yeah. if we if we didn't and yeah. let's say the coach actually liked Brett Hall if that wasn't part of the equation to have kept him and still gone on to win the Stanley Cup but, but some, I guess you know that's something we can always debate because you don't know yeah you know, but sometimes it's additional additions that are basically are subtraction you know in this particular <laughs> so pro- close <laughs> so close simmer in this particular like I say they they really needed to get rid of Brett Hall he didn't really fit in and, and hey let's be honest too that. I know he rounded out and won a cup in Dallas, but he was the biggest floater in the history of the NHL, not to mention you talk about a guy that would speak his mind. Uh, at some point, he and Crispy were going go to come to blows. So right. uh, I'll say this too. But, hey, it's a one-sided trade. You can't justify it. But the other thing at that time, and you watch it, JR, there was so much pressure on the local boy, Mike Vernon. That was not an easy situation for him to be in. And I'm sure getting a veteran like Rick Wamsley, you know, mm-hmm. helped a lot with that as well. Sure. Uh, and then you end up obviously uh, winning the cup. But yeah, it's uh, amazing to look back. But yeah, as I said, it's for Calgary and man, you're tinkering forever, right? And, and let's also be honest, you're going up against the, you know, one of the greatest teams of all time in Edmonton in your own division. And you're just figuring out what the heck can I do here to get over the hump? Right.
Uh, okay, also on this day in 1994, so we're coming up to 30 years, Cam Neely scored his 49th and 50th goals of the season in his in uh, his 44th game, tying Mario Lemieux for the third fastest player in NHL history to hit 50 goals uh, in a season. Of course, Gretzky did 50 and 39. Cam Neely did hit 50 and 44 on this day in 1994, which I guess... But doesn't count, right? Because he was injured for part of yeah, it, right? He so was, he, was, he individually, in his first 44 games, yeah, he yeah. scored 50. Yeah, exactly. And and he was one of the first that had that calcified leg, uh, which became an issue for a number of guys. Even my buddy Jeff Greenline ended up having it where guys were getting thigh contusions. Now, most of that is blamed on Ulf Samuelson, but when the leg all of a sudden is bruising, for whatever reason it wasn't healing, it basically turns into a bone and that was pretty much put the pressure on his knee and everything else. And if I'm not mistaken, Jr., I think I was broadcasting that game. I was doing the Washington TV at that time. All right. And I think that's the caps. It, uh, I think it was Washington. That, number uh, 50. Uh, he scored number 50 by beating goalie Don Beaupre yeah, at 11.03 okay, of the go. third period. <laughs> and Neely also had an assist yeah. in a 6-3 win over the Washington Capitals. There you go. Yeah. No, I, I had a great seat for that in the old garden and pretty cool to do the TV and the energy in that building around Cam, Cam Neely, you know, it was Cam Neely. It was Ray Bork coming down and, and basically winding up from the neutral zone in the small building, JR, and feeling like he may score at any time, uh, just how tiny that was. But uh, that was quite quite the building to be in. An absolute disgusting, uh, stinky, dirty place, but nostalgic at the same time. And one thing when you went to those games, they had an old crew of uh, guys that would always be there. It was a press room that had the worst food and it had no air. And those guys would be there three hours before the game having cigars and playing crib. So you had no choice but to smell like a cigar by the time you took your seat for the ice hockey match. 15-2, 15-4, <laughs> and the rest don't score. Yeah. There we go. Uh, always a good game of cribbage. I love it. Uh, okay, update on the, uh, and I was, and I apologize, I was half listening as you oh. were talking about the head of the EU. <laughs> okay. And did you refer to uh, that person as a man? Because it's a woman. Oh, oh no, no, I didn't. I don't know if I Her referred. Her Excellency. To... Okay. Ursula okay. von der Leyen is oh, president oh, oh. of the EU. Oh, sounds very Dutchian. And uh, and um, Nathan says she's already in Kingston. It's actually Trudeau that's on his way by car, oh, and that's why there's the. Uh, well, that makes more sense yeah. then. Well, that's allowed now. That's allowed. It's okay. the PM. It's big boy. It's big old truth. She's the she's the she's the president of the EU. Oh no, she probably drove down in some Chevrolet Cavalier or something. <laughs> she like was that. already rented. <laughs> she had to, she's she's probably got your van. <laughs> <laughs> so I need that. that back by Friday morning. Oh my God! You know how that goes. They eh? a late return. No. All of a sudden, you're showing up Thursday oh, night, my God. and there's no vans to be had. Wow. Oh, I'm man. not. T- Hey? What what, what uh, will happen if your minivan isn't ready for the drive to Florida would you, on Friday would you morning? Fi- would you fire up the crossover if you had to? No, I would no. not. I would not take that down. No. The, the, I wouldn't the, trust Simmer, it. Simmer, there's tires that come off, <laughs> wheels that come off of that minivan. But that's also hot commodity then in gotta, Florida. It could got, be stolen. Well, no, it's just I've got winter tires on in Florida. Not really a gr- a good mix there. Oh wow. I don't want that to happen. No, I, yeah. I, they've got to give me something. I need something big. Ursula von der Leyen, you are on notice to have Ursula. your minivan back at the Belleville, 
what are you, what are you on budget? Uh, uh, Enterprise. 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 Enterprise on Maryville. Have it back uh, on, at Maryville so uh, Hammer can pick it up. Yeah. So he can drive his minivan to Florida on Friday. I bet, but don't they'll have vehicles, but if you guys don't mind. <laughs> this is bringing me back go, to the like, blockbuster into, days. I'm waiting for that movie. Do not oh, bring it in late. Yeah, you're sick. I need it. Listen, Please be kind. Rewind. <laughs> what I, what we do yes. ha- we, I can give you a nice rebate on this compact car right here. <laughs> five. Family of five. No, uh, no I thought oh, it was in the back. I thought one was uh, going by bus No, we're all together. Okay. We're all well, together. Well, there's nobody. Well, there's With four, luggage. Four person. Gear. Four people that are of smaller stature. You can probably going to work. Not. Fit in a, oh. like a Volkswagen Rabbit. We'd be going down five. We would not be coming back five. Isn't I'll that tell the you old, that. old videos out of like Japan or whatever where like Just 16 people would be in a car and they'd <laughs> all of a sudden open the door? <laughs> and you'd be like, how many people are actually in there? One in the trunk. Yeah. One in the trunk. Please, Ursula. There you go. Have that minivan back. All right. Uh, 902. We'll take a break. Uh, still to come at some point between now and 10 o'clock, you're going to hear a little snippet of Kiss music. When you hear it, be the 13th caller through to win a pair of Beat the Box Office tickets to see KISS in concert coming up November 21st at Canadian Tire Centre. We'll have another code word for you next hour as well in our Grits, uh, Great Sends jersey giveaway. Thomas Shabbat jerseys all this week, one per day. Your code word is coming up next hour, and when we return, we'll have more on the Sens and the Hawks. Big 5 nothing win for Chicago. Was it just an off night for the Sens? Uh, or perhaps a harbinger of what's to come after such good tidings in the last little bit. All right, we'll talk about that coming up in Hour 4 after our top-of-the-hour news and sports update. Coming up next, right here on Sports Radio, TSN 1200.